football talk podcast i'm your host zach guggenheim we're talking week 10 picks make sure to like follow subscribe wherever you get your podcasts make sure if you're on youtube to hit that like button smash that subscribe button leave a review if you're on apple or spotify make sure you are tweeting at me on twitter follow us on instagram big 10 football talk is the handle and then obviously if you want to email me big 10 football talk at gmail.com All 14 teams in action this week, seven games. It's going to be a fun weekend of college ball. We're going to talk about that. And then there's a few other odds and ends. You might've heard that there's a little scandal brewing at Michigan. We're going to touch on that a little bit. We're going to touch on something you might've seen like the college football playoff rankings. We're going to touch on that. And you know what? We're going to touch on something that we like to call the nepotism corner. That's right. Brian Ferentz, not returning to Iowa. We'll talk about that. But first, we're going to get to what you guys really want, which is my picks for week 10. So we're going to start in Piscataway, New Jersey, where the 6-2 and two Rutgers Scarlet Knights, the bowl-eligible Scarlet Knights, the Fighting Shianos, taking on the newly minted number one team in the country, the... Ohio State Buckeyes. And we'll we'll talk about that number one ranking in a in a few minutes. But you know, this is one of those games where in the past several years, you kind of expect a blowout. And that that's been the case. I don't think there's been a margin of victory less than 28 points in the past, I think in the history of their series since Rutgers joined the Big Ten. And so Rutgers has kind of been the doormat. Uh, particularly for Ohio State, they've hung tough against other teams, Michigan, Penn State, but they have never really scratched the surface against Ohio State. And this this year, I, I think that there's a possibility that they can change change the narrative here, right? They have really good defensive personnel. I think Flip Dixon is one of the more underrated defensive backs in the country. Aaron Lewis and Wesley Bailey, both really good on the defensive line. Both, both have three sacks. And I, you know, I think Kyle Manungai is a, is a good runner. I think obviously Gavin, Gavin Wimsat has had, he's been hot and cold, but you know, he's dynamic. He, he can make plays in the run game. So I, I think Rutgers has pieces to give Ohio state heartburn in this game. They have struggled at times against the run. I think we saw it even early on in the Wisconsin game. Braylon Allen was able to gash him for for yards. Uh, we we've seen it against other teams. I think we saw it with Purdue and Maccabee and Notre Dame really wore them down a little bit in their game. And so, I think Rutgers is strong where they need to be to make this a game. Here's my concern. I think. Ohio State is still way more explosive than Rutgers. There's there's a lot of people 
down on Kyle McCord. And I get that. I still wonder if Rutgers has the personnel to hang with the home run hitters. And that I think that's the one difference between Ohio State and Michigan, quite honestly. Michigan has one, maybe two home run hitters. I think Roman Wilson can be a home run hitter at times, but really they're, they're not super, super explosive. Like they, they are steady. They'll pound you into submission. I think they have good, good athletes, I'm, but they don't have like those guys that can get to that next gear. Ohio state has them across the board. They have it at running back in Travion Henderson. They have it in Marvin Harrison jr. They're getting uh, their second wide out back. Emeka Abuka, most likely Cade Stover has been very explosive this, this year. Um, Arguably, he's been the best tight end in the Big Ten, maybe even in the country. And so this is you're talking about a team that is inconsistent at quarterback. But has the athletes that if you like if your offense really struggles in turning the ball over and you keep giving Ohio State chances, it could be lights out very quickly. People don't realize that. Like if you look, if you look at Ohio State the past few weeks, they squandered opportunities against Penn State. They squandered opportunities against Wisconsin. And really, compared to the turnovers of the other team, like Ohio State's lost the turnover battle. Uh, they 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 lost it in spades last week against Wisconsin, and they've missed opportunities. I think this week we see a little bit more of a polished version of Ohio State. And I I think Rutgers offensively is not going to be able to move the ball consistently enough to keep Ohio State's offense on the field off the field. And so I I don't think it's as high scoring as it's been in the past. I still think it's going to be a cover. Ohio State, this is a 12 o'clock game on CBS. Uh, Ohio State's an 18 and a half point favorite. I think they cover. I don't think it it means anything against Rutgers. I think they've really progressed. I just think it's a bad matchup. It's a bad matchup for Rutgers because of the athleticism on the outside and the athleticism at tailback. And while I think Rutgers defensive line will get pressure on McCord, I also think that you're going to see several long touchdowns in this game because of the speed difference on the outside. So I like Ohio state 38 Rutgers 10. Um, and it's a cover for Ohio state. I still think Rutgers has a lot in front of them. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a bad matchup uh, for the Scarlet Knights, Wisconsin at Indiana. This is a 12 PM kick on the big 10 network. Wisconsin is an eight and a half point favorite. Um, not a ton out there about Braylon Allen. Uh, his status is questionable. Chimre DK also questionable. Obviously, if Braylon Allen can't go, that becomes very, very difficult in the running back room because Malusi's also out. Uh, Acker had some good uh, reps against Ohio State last week. He's a good, I think he's a, a, a bruiser, you know, four yards in a cloud of dust type of back. Uh, I think Braden Locke is still, he's getting comfortable. And I think he really showed things. Honestly, if, if Tanner Mordecai came back healthy, I would probably stick with Locke. 
not because Mordecai isn't good. I just think you, you stick with the younger guy and you get him more experience for next year. And I think he's acquitted himself quite well. I think he's, he's a good option. I, I think he's understanding that offense really well. He's really connecting with Will Pauling. And I just, I, I think their defense is really starting to gel. I think it's Ricardo Hallman. That dude's a stud, man, at, at defensive back. Gave Marvin Harrison all he could last week. And I, there's not a lot on whether Cam Camper's going to play for Indiana. And while I think Jalen Lucas is good and, you know, they have a couple other, other playmakers, I just don't think Indiana has the ability to exploit the injuries. I think Wisconsin wins. I think they cover. Um, I, I think it's 24 to to nine. Uh, no, 24 to 10. I'll say 24 to 10. I think they, they cover on the road against the Hoosiers. Wisconsin gets to six and three. They get bowl eligible. Nebraska at Michigan state. Nebraska is a three point favorite, which I'm kind of surprised at how low that line is for, for a couple reasons. One, I, I think Nebraska's defense has been stellar over this past, uh, this past month. Um, and granted they, you know, they are also, they're pretty, uh, they're beat up, you know, they've lost several of their running backs, lost their key receiver. Marcus Washington's out. Uh, he's been out for a while. So just a lot of injuries and yet they have really gelled and it seems like they're really rallying around head coach, Matt rule. That the, the same cannot be said for Michigan state. Michigan State also has a lot of guys out, but it really does not seem like they're rallying for uh, their coaches. And I can, in some ways, I can really understand that because they've been put in a really hard situation. You know, Michigan State really struggled against Minnesota. And I think we've seen like Minnesota and Nebraska, they were a one score game. I think Nebraska probably could have won that at the end. I think Nebraska's got a lot of momentum. I think Nebraska runs their way to victory in this game. I think it's it's tight, but not as tight as a three-point spread. I'm going to go 17 to 10. Uh, Nebraska over Michigan State. Nebraska gets to bowl eligibility. Uh, so big, big win for the Cornhuskers and more pain and misery for the Spartans. Number 11, Penn State at Maryland. Penn State is an eight and a half point favorite. This is on Fox at three thirty. Which 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 uh, Maryland team is going to show up? That's what I want to know. Is it going to be the Maryland team that really hung tough with Ohio State for a, uh, a half, or is it going to be the team that we saw against Northwestern, the team that we saw against Illinois that was sloppy? that was turnover prone that that just really struggled uh to really sustain drives made a lot of mistakes and a defense that was quite honestly on its heels that's my question cuz i think maryland at their best really is a top 25 caliber team like they have the talent tunga vailoa is a good passer when he is clicking when him and his receivers are clicking I think they have good running backs in Hemby and Littleton. I think they will be up for this game. It's Penn State. They're coming to their house. 
Maryland has nothing to lose at this point. And I think you're going to see the best out of the Terrapins. And I think that's a scary proposition for a Penn State team that, honestly, I don't think the receiver room is good. I think Theo Johnson, their tight end, uh, is out for this game. He's at least hurt. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think he might be still playing. I don't see him. Uh, I don't see anything on an injury report right now. Um, but that was a, a, an injury that we're not sure of chop Robinson is questionable. Um, so we're not sure if he'll be back. Um, it looks like maybe Johnny Dixon will be back in the game. So I think Penn state will be relatively healthy, at least with their, their main stars. Um, but I think this is going to be a, a closer than expected game. I think Penn state's defense, I think will come up to play. I think they will rattle tongue of Ilo into a couple mistakes. I think Penn state pulls away at the end. I do think because the line is eight and a half, I do think they cover, but I don't think they cover till late. I think drew Aller takes another step in his development, makes a couple of big downfield throws. Uh, I think the running, the running backs in the second half will get a little more traction but still a little lower scoring 27 to 17, 10 point victory. And I think Penn state comes away with the cover, but I'm just saying, don't, I would not be shocked if Maryland is within three or even wins it outright, because I do think Maryland at their best can be very, very good. But I think I, and I, again, and we've said this with Iowa, I think it's true with Penn state too. When your offense when you're not able to really stretch the field, it really, it really limits your margin for error. And so I, I think their margin for error is slimmer, which I think gives Maryland a shot in this game. And I mean, I mean a legitimate shot to win, to, to knock off the Nittany lions. So uh, Illinois at Minnesota, Minnesota, a one and a half point favorite. Uh, it, it is at Minnesota. I really don't know what to think about this game. If I'm being completely honest, I, I think if Jerjan Newton were in for the whole game, I'd pick Illinois, but I believe he's out for the first half because of the targeting call against Wisconsin. Remember Illinois was in a bye last week and now they're playing. So I believe Newton was out in the second half. Doesn't play the first half. And I think that might be the difference in this ball game. Uh, I think if they have the ability to run the ball, you know, Newbin had that great, uh, great game, 40 carries for 202 yards last week. Uh, they want to run the ball. They want to, you know, obviously establish the run, go play action pass with it, the, with their underrated receiving room. Um, it does look like maybe Zach uh, Zach Evans will be back. Uh, he is listed as questionable here on at least the the report I'm seeing. I think Minnesota gets a couple of scores in the first half, and they are able to hold Illinois at bay for the to to pull away or they're able to hold them uh, defensively. Seventeen thirteen, again low scoring. 
Minnesota wins. They cover uh, 17 to 13. Minnesota gets to bowl eligibility. Iowa at Northwestern, 330 game on Peacock. Iowa is a five-point favorite. It's so hard because I think I think uh, Northwestern has a lot of momentum. And traditionally, I would say, well, Iowa has the better defense. They will turn you over. And they'll score off of turnovers. The problem is Brandon Sullivan looked dynamite. Well, he looked so good last week. And the reality is Iowa's defense is sound. And they have some really good talent. Cooper DeGene is probably the one of the best corners in the country, let alone the conference. You know, they have good defensive personnel. But if Deacon Hill can't get that passing game going and the the running backs can't get run, you know, can't run the ball. I, I'm not so sure Northwestern isn't going to out, you know, they might limit turnovers more than Iowa will. And I think that might be the difference in this game. I think that might be the difference for Iowa for the rest of the season because they're so banged up. They don't really have a, a good tight end that they can put out there anymore. At least, at least one that's a difference maker, right? They lost Eric all, they locked, lost Luke Lachey. I, I just think this is a tough ask for Iowa in the rest of the season. And I think if Brennan Sullivan can get anything going in the passing game, I think Northwestern pulls off the upset. It's at home. I think that really matters. I I'm picking Northwestern at home 16 to nine, a lot of field goals. And I, I think Northwestern pulls off the upset uh, and Northwestern gets to five and four. Iowa goes to six and three. That's, that's my guess. And then Purdue at number three, Michigan, it's a seven 30 kickoff on NBC. I'll be honest. I'm not sure why this game isn't on Peacock because this is, this is going to be bad guys. I think Purdue defensively is not going to be able to hold up against that Michigan run game. I think Michigan has had to hear two weeks of how everybody thinks they cheated. I I think, I think the momentum and the angst is high in Ann Arbor. The game's at home in Ann Arbor. I think 59 to seven and that's nothing against Purdue. I think, I think this is already a bad matchup for Purdue, but I think the added frustration of everything that they're, they're going through, whether it's, whether they're guilty or not, I just think there's going to be a, an extra layer of motivation this week. And I, I just don't think it's going to go well for Purdue. I think Hudson card is going to, throw a couple of picks. I think that pass rush is really going to get after him. I think they're going to shut down Purdue's running game as much as I like Maccabee. I just don't think Purdue's going to get any semblance of offense going. And I think Michigan is going to show once again, that they're one of the best teams in the country. So uh, Michigan is a 32 and a half point favorite. I have them covering. I, I, I think they might cover that by halftime. So it's a rough matchup for Purdue. And 
I, th- I think with this game, they get eliminated from bowl contention. So that's the picks. Let me, uh, let me just add a couple of thoughts from, from things going on outside. Well, not outside the conference, but within the conference, I, you know, I mentioned, uh, Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator for Iowa has been, uh, told and the, the, the team has been told that he will be moving on after this season. That was a decision not by head coach Kirk Ferentz, which is Brian's father, but from the athletic director who made the decision. I, I want to start by saying, and, and I, I heard the Big Ten Network talking about this, and I, I thought it was a helpful perspective. You know, Brian Ferentz did not, you know, his goal was not to be the worst offense in college football, right? He loves Iowa. He loves those guys. He loves those players. And I think that the players, they, they enjoy him. Like, I, I think you, that's part of coaching. It's part of the, the, the football game is you build relationships with these guys. Um, and so whenever I talk about, you know, someone being fired and why they should be fired or why they shouldn't be fired, I, I never want to lose the human element to it, which is, you know, Brian, you know, Brian is at least, I want to believe the best. He's not just sitting there trying to collect a paycheck. I think he really cares about this football team. I think he really cares about the program. I think he really cares about his players. I don't think any of that is untrue. So I, at, with what I'm about to say, it's not about Brian as a person, but there is a reality that you are paid. And I think for him, it was at least six figures to be effective at putting your offense in a position to help your team win games. Like that is ultimately your job and your job description. And this, this Iowa offense for the past several years has, it hasn't just been mediocre. Like mediocre would be a compliment. It it has been downright horrendous. And I don't think I don't think it's unfair to point out just how horrendous it's been, right? Like I, I'm pulling up the the stats right now. Like if you look at their their scores from this past this past year, they've scored 24, 20, 41. All right, so first three games against non-conference teams one of which is a power five team. Not great, but you know, 41 is not bad. Zero, 26, 20, 15, and 10. So they've scored more than 25 points twice this year. And it's, it's easily the reason why they've lost both their games. All right. Um, this past or the, the year before in 2022, they scored seven against an FCS team. And by the way, the seven was two safeties and a field goal. Seven, seven, 27, 27. Okay, so two two games over 25 points. 14, six, and nine, or 14, six, and 10, sorry. 
All of those were losses, by the way. 33 over 25, 24, 24, 13, 17, and 21. So in, I think, the past 21 games, five times they've scored 25 points or more. Only once have they gotten over 40. Oh, only twice have they gotten over 30. Like, that's abysmal. Like, it's so bad. And they are one of the worst offenses in the country. And at some point, you just have to say, okay, what are you doing to put your team in a good position? Now, granted, this year, above all years, he has, you know, not, he was dealt a really bad hand, right? Starting quarterback, down. Two best weapons, out. So in some ways, you can you can understand, okay, like that's really hard. But the problem is the trend, it's it's the trend. He has been not very good the past two years. He needs to move on. He's not a great off. I don't think he's a great offensive co- uh coordinator. I think he's a really good offensive line coach. And I think he's gonna get snatched up real quick as an O-line coach. I think he could do a wonders for a lot of teams in the Big Ten. But I, I just think this this is the right move. I, I think, and I, I think probably more from a big picture perspective, I think Iowa did the right thing in terms of stepping in and making a decision that Kirk Ferentz could not make, right? Kirk employed his son. To ask Kirk Ferentz to fire his son I think is would be a really hard thing to do. And he wasn't willing to do it, which is why I think I was making the right call that the athletic director is saying, okay, you're done. Like we're just, it, we're seeing the product on the field. It's not good enough. You're done. And I'm sure Kirk is broken up over it. Like he doesn't want to see his son go somewhere else. He doesn't want to, you know, see his son as a failure. But the reality is this is this is a job. And I think if Kirk wasn't going to do it and recognize that his son wasn't doing the job, then the athletic director needs to do it. And if the offense stays the same over the next couple years, as great as Kirk Ferentz has been for the Iowa Hawkeyes, he should move on too. Because this offense, this offense is holding this team back. Like this offense is, is the reason why Iowa has not competed for a Big Ten championship and has not been a legitimate threat. If they've had, if they could have had any semblance of a decent offense, not a good offense, a decent offense, they're a contender in the Big Ten. They're maybe even a playoff contender. Like that's that's the mark, but because the margin for error has been so small. Their, their defense, which is championship caliber, has been reduced to uh, the only good part of Iowa. And it's a shame because I think I think that defense year in and year out has been, if not championship caliber, close to championship caliber. So I, I think it's a good move. 
I, I'm curious to see what happens, who they hire. Um, but I think it's, it's a really, it's a smart move. And I, I'm glad that the athletic director made the call when they did. Um, just a quick update from the Michigan sign stealing, uh, advanced scouting stuff. There's still a lot of smoke. The media has really turned on Michigan recently. Uh, Paul Feinbaum came out and talked a lot of, talked a lot of stuff. Stephen A. Smith is calling on the big 10 to do something and do something now. I, I think like I've already said, I, I think when there's this much smoke, there's fire. I think part of the problem is a lot of, a lot of people are calling for Tony Petiti and, and Ward Manuel to do something. It's, it's hard because we don't have a conclusive decision on what did and didn't happen. We have pictures being like, is that Connor Stallions? Was he on the sideline for Central Michigan? So I think it's a I still think it's messy, but I don't know you can you can punish anybody until you definitively have proof and like the findings come out saying, well, this thing happened. And so the national media coming out and being like, well, and completely doing a 180, like ESPN was very much like, let's wait for the facts. This isn't that big of a deal. And now all of a sudden it's like, they need to hammer them. I think you got to wait. Like, I think, I, I don't think the big 10 needs to be coerced into acting super fast. Take your time, get more information. I think more information's coming, separate fact from fiction, and then make a decision. I think you can do that within the next few weeks. But I think just to make a decision, like without knowing all the facts, is dumb. It's what happened in the Urban Meyer Zach Smith situation. Quite honestly, it's kind of what happened with Mel Tucker. It's, I, I just, and that's not to excuse any of the behavior. It's just, I don't think, I don't think it's wise to make decisions when you don't have all the facts. So I, I disagree with the national media. I don't think it's wise for, for any decisions to be made yet. I, I think the statement that the Big Ten put out was good. I think the warning other Big Ten opponents was good. I think the, the continued investigation is good. I don't think, think they should take as, as long as the NCAA because that'll be like 2055 by the time they come down to a decision and they'll vacate seven national championships. So like, let's not wait that long, but I, I don't think the big 10 needs to act swiftly like this week. Let's give it a couple weeks. All right, let's, let's figure out more of what's actually going on because if it, if it turns out that we've all made this big hubbub and it's like, Oh yeah, Connor stallions actually didn't pay those people. And I mean, there's a paper trail, but I'm just saying that let's wait to get all the facts. So lastly, I'll just talk about playoff rankings. Yankee Yankee Wolverine made a great point on my Twitter uh, profile or Twitter post about how like these, these rankings really don't mean anything. And I think it's a, it's a good take 
people are up in arms about Ohio State being one. Kirk Herbstreet came out, and I like Kirk, but he came out and said, Ohio State's not the best team. And this is what drives me nuts about this system. In no other sport, in no other league, do we sit here hand-wringing about who we think looks like the best team and then having that be incredibly consequential to the playoffs. Like, we don't do that. In the NFL, we don't sit here saying, well, Kansas City looks like the best team, and so they're going to get the one seed. Like, it's stupid. They earn it. And so whenever people say, you know, the 14 playoff going from four to four teams to 12 teams, we're diminishing the regular season. Well, I don't care what you think. You're not like we're diminishing the regular season by saying, despite the fact that Michigan hasn't played anybody of consequence, maybe besides Rutgers, like and Ohio state's beaten two top 15 teams. Like, that doesn't matter. Uh, do I think Ohio State's going to beat Michigan in three weeks? No. But does that mean that we should invalidate what Ohio State's proven on the field? Like, it's stupid. It's absolutely asinine. And like I say this with a lot of respect to Kirk, but to, to sit there and be like, well, I don't think they're the best team, so I don't think they should be number one. I'm like, who gives a rip? Like, what have they actually done on the field? Like, I, I don't care if Georgia looks good against, you know, Georgia South. Like, I don't care if Michigan looked really dominant against East Carolina. Like, I, I just don't. Right? Now, and here's the thing. Michigan's going to get the chance to prove it. They, they play Penn State next week. That's a tough game. And then you add that to the Rutgers game. You add that to they'll play Maryland. And again, they're not, Maryland's not great in terms of national elite, but you get more of a resume at that point. You see their body of work. This thing will work itself out. Michigan gets to play Ohio State. So, but like, there's all this stuff about, oh, the committee got it wrong. I actually thought the committee did a good job. Like I, my, my one quibble is I thought Florida State should have been two. Like, I think, I mean, I, in my own rankings, I had Florida state one, but I think Florida state deserves to be in the top two because they're winning against LSU and they've been dominant the past few weeks. They've gotten better. And I think they have a better win than most other teams in the country and they have no losses. I, that's my issue. I, I think, and it, it doesn't, I think it highlights the absurd, absurdly hard job that the committee has because they, tr they try to finesse all these different metrics. You're finessing uh, resume, eye test, strength of record, all these different things. And it's like, this is dumb. <laughs> this is why I'm all for auto bids. And I know there are certain people who are like, auto bids are stupid. Um, and I'm like, you're right in one sense. Like, to put Tulane in a national championship thing would be hard, but also like, let's recognize what the sport of college football is. You have all these conferences. The, the way to make this thing objective is to have your conference champions play in a tournament. It's what we do with every other sport. And before people say, but college football is different. 
I don't care. Because at this point, it's subjective. Tulane's not good enough. Probably. But you know what I, I would like to know? I'd like to know it bear I'd like to see it bear out on the field. I think Tulane could upset some teams this year. Just just saying, right? Like, are we really sure that Tulane couldn't upset Alabama? Like, are we sure that Tulane couldn't upset Ohio State? Like, maybe in a one one game, like one round of the playoffs? I don't know. I I just think it's it's the the thing that drives me nuts about these conversations is we keep talking, well, who is the best team? And the reality is you don't know. Like we all knew that Michigan was better than TCU last year until TCU won. And people are frustrated to no end about that because, well, TCU was, you know, TCU then lost to Georgia 65 to seven. People are like, well, that was a terrible championship game. The system didn't work. It absolutely worked. You got you got a playoff. You got the four best teams. Guess what? The championship game, like you saw the difference between a team that upset another team and the best team in the country. But that doesn't mean it was a failure. It means the system played out. And I get, I get tired of these conversations and I'm not by no means am I saying with the playoff rankings, like I think as the 12 team playoff takes place, I think you have to make, you'll have to make adjustments. And I think we're already seeing them with conference realignment. Like you want to think com- protect competitive balance, and so do I think that every group of five conference championship sh- champion should get in. Probably not. I mean, my the purist in me and like person who thinks about playoffs a lot. I'd love to have a tournament with all the all the champ- conference champions in it. But the reality is, I don't think that's fair to a, a lot of other teams. But then, how do you make a system? where you can make things more objective because this is going to be the problem until the end of college football, as we know it is we we're going to keep asking this question. Well, who are the 12 best teams? And you need to start asking the question who is qualified, like who qualifies into our tournament. And that's what we never ask. We always ask, well, who are the four best teams? And like the reality is we we might as well just put Bama in every year because they have the most talent. Except there are years that Bama doesn't qualify. And I think we have to think about that in the same way. Like, great example. Like, does Louisville have a chance to get into this thing? Because they're they have one loss, have a great win against Notre Dame. Like, if they win out in the ACC, are they going to be able to get in? Like, I don't know. So I, I don't, I hate this idea of best versus deserving. I don't think they should be pitted against each other. I think the deserving teams are the best teams because they, they actually won the games. You want to make the regular season matter? Then win loss, win loss has to matter. 
right? Your schedule has to matter, which is why I have no problem with Ohio State being number one. And no, that's not me being a fan. That's me objectively saying, who else has the strength of their resume? Nobody. Like, it's not close. Now, teams, you know, if Notre Dame loses to Clemson this week and other things happen, like Georgia crushes Missouri, then I have no problem putting Georgia one, right? Or no problem putting Florida State one. Or, you know, I as things change, the poll changes, and that's fine. But this, the, just the whole eye test thing in general, it, it just frustrates the heck out of me. So that's my rant. I'm sorry for going long on this, but would love your thoughts. Feel free to email me, shoot me uh, messages. Make sure you leave reviews, uh, like and subscribe so that this podcast can continue to get out to other people. Share it with your friends. Really appreciate you guys. Appreciate you watching and listening. This has been the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. Take care. God bless. 